Welcome to the Arena Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy the message. Be uh, back in Ilkeston and, and uh, see, all, see all of you and, and uh, reacquaint ourselves. Um, we really miss uh, not being around here more regularly, but... Um, also love being in Mansfield. So um, can I just say, can I just brag about the people in Mansfield for a moment? They are fantastic. Let me tell you, we've been away already on our, our three-week summer holiday, and so we just arrived back on the 20th or 17th of July, and let me tell you, everything went so well in our absence. I'm actually beginning to worry, Christian, maybe we need to meet, and I don't know if I'm really needed, to be honest with you, um, but we've just got a wonderful team of people down in Mansfield, and I know there's some of you that go across to help out in various capacities as well, so we just want to thank you for, for that, that you do too, and um, great things are happening. Uh, God is adding to our number, uh, not in hundreds, but in, in ones and twos, and that's just great because that's what we can handle at the moment, and people are, are joining um, and becoming part of the church in Mansfield. So, as Christian said, it's, it's my privilege just to, to continue and, in fact, finish up the series, uh, What's It Like to Be Around Here?, And if you've not been a part of it, or if you've not got it, as Christian said, please do listen to the podcast. But really, the reason why we do this series, or we talk about this, is is because we want to be a church characterized by these things that we've been talking about. Can I just say, uh, if you're new here, and uh, you're just getting used to Arena, this is not us bragging and saying, this is all we are, and we're fantastic, and we're unified, and we're passionate, and we're generous. I think we are, um, but you know what? These are things we aspire to, and so sometimes we get it wrong, uh, sometimes we're not that, but these are things that we aspire to. And, you know, we can, we can build church just kind of accidentally and, and just not intentionally at all and just say, well, you know, whatever happens, happens. But we want to be intentional. We want to create a culture, cultivate a cro- culture in arena which is characterized by these things. And so we, we've talked about a few things we don't want, thieves, and we had a, a week on that. And also just spent some more time on the positives, the things that we want to have in arena. And so things like discipleship, unity, honor, excellence, faith, and aspiration. And so today we're just finishing off looking at just two more um, occupants of the house, things that we want to have uh, in, in arena, Ilkeston and Mansfield. And and so the first thing that I, I want to talk about uh, today, I'm going to go through them individually and then just really try to pull it together at the end. The first thing we're going to talk about this morning is passion. Passion. Are we a passionate church? I think we are, yeah. I think we are a lot of the time. We can still improve. Um, but passion is defined as an intense desire or enthusiasm for something. And synonyms that you see there, enthusiasm, zeal, fervor, all of these words that we do see uh, in the Bible. It's, it's so important to have passion. It's so important to have passion in church, but it's also something that's recognized you know, if, you, if you're out in the world, the importance of having passion for the things you do. One of my favorite um, sportsmen of all time um, is, is Michael Schumacher. Obviously a sad story, but he said this. Uh, he said, once something is a passion, then the motivation is there. And he was passionate about what he did, wasn't he? Uh, Gordon Ramsay said we should cook with passion. And uh, maybe some of you do that. I eat with passion. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, probably the best manager in the Premier League at the moment, um, Jurgen Klopp, says you should play with passion. Play football with passion as well. Can I hear an amen? And maybe um, somebody that I don't know if you admire him or not, and I'm not making any political statements, but a certain Donald Trump said this. He said, and you know what, we can fault him, but I believe he has passion. Uh, Whether it's guided in the right direction is something we can talk all day about. But um, Donald Trump said this, without passion, you don't have energy. And without energy, you have nothing. So passion is something wherever you are is recognized the importance of passion. Um, interestingly enough, um, just as I prepared the message and preached it last week, but I read an article yesterday about um, another football reference, if you're okay. All of you know Antonio Conte, the manager of Chelsea. And I read this interesting article. He said this. He said, I was always a passionate player. And of course he was. But he's also one of the most passionate managers. If you've ever watched, he's jumping up and down. And he's either overjoyed, happy, jumping in, into the fans. Or he's, he's rebuking the ref or whatever. But he's passionate. And he said this. Uh, he said that I'm absolutely destroyed after every game. He said, I think I lose about two to three kilograms of my body weight through every game. That's what he said. So maybe there's a key in that for us, for some of us as well. Maybe if I get passionate up today, today about this, this message, I'll, I'll, I'll lose two to three kilograms. Anyway, um, passion is very important, but it's not because of what the world tells us. It's because of our God, who is a passionate God. And that's first and foremost why we want to have passion in church, it's because it, our God is a passionate God. What better example than the example of Jesus? In, in John chapter 2, there's an account of where, where Jesus was, um, came into the temple. And of course, they'd set up a, a marketplace. They were selling all sorts of things. The focus was on everything it shouldn't have been instead of the focus being on God. And he, he came into the temple and was obviously upset and grieved by it and he he formed a whip and he chased the people out he turned over the the tables and he he scattered all the the coins and all the the merchandise everywhere and as as we say he cleansed the temple and it says this in verse John 2:17 it says then his disciples who are obviously watching remembered this prophecy from the scriptures passion for God's house will consume me. You see, our our God is a passionate God. In this account, it it bubbled over in a righteous anger. Um, And of course, um, maybe many of you think he went too far, but he didn't go too far. He was, he was righteous. It was righteous anger that caused him to do that passion uh, for God's temple and God's church. But one thing can be said that certainly Jesus wasn't indifferent. That's one thing we can say. He was passionate. He wasn't indifferent. Oh, well, this is just the world we live in. These things happen. He was passionate about making a difference. And it, 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 well, it was displayed in other ways uh, throughout Scripture. We can read about him, him getting up early in the morning to pray. We can read about him healing and, and, and preaching from early morning till evening, just driven by the passion that he had for the people. It was so passionate that it led him to die on the cross for our sins. Perhaps best of all, he died on the cross for our sins because he was a passionate God, passionate about uh, his people. And he is still a passionate God today. And so we should be passionate too because of our, our God. 
And just three things under passion that I want to talk about really quickly. Um, First of all, passion. We need to have passion for God. We need to first and foremost have passion for our God. Can I hear an amen? It's, it's, there's so many scriptures that I could jump to at this point, but there's a wonderful, um, there's a wonderful one in Second Samuel chapter six, and and again we're not going to read it in all detail, but it's where David, um, where the Ark of the Covenant had been outside of Jerusalem, it had been in the house of Obed Edom, and um, and. David heard of all the blessing that was accompanying the Ark of the Covenant, and he said, let's get the Ark of the Covenant where it should be in Jerusalem. And, and so he brought it up uh, to Jerusalem. And, and the story goes that literally every six steps, he sacrificed an ox and an ox and a sheep because he was just celebrating the, the, this that was the presence of God in those days, coming back to Jerusalem. But interestingly enough, there's also, it says um, that that as he was doing this, he danced before the Lord with all of his might. And that says, in, in, it's in 2 Samuel 6.14. And, and he danced unashamedly before the Lord, just celebrating God. And of course, in those days, there were people that criticized him. There were people that said, you shouldn't do that. You're a king. You're dancing, as it were, half naked in front of the people. And you shouldn't be doing that. Even his own wife criticized him for doing it. But I love his response, and we probably know this so well as well. He said, it was before the Lord that I danced, and I will become even more undignified than this. Because it's before the Lord, praising him with with unashamed exuberance. And so if if you're new to church the way arena, do it. And we we jump up and down, we raise our hands, we, we praise God with exuberance because he deserves it. Because we don't want to be dictated to by the world around us that tells us we have to just stand still and and praise God like this. No, we're going to praise him how we see fit. How we see in the Bible that pleased God when David praised him. We want to praise him with exuberance and with passion. And obviously, um, you know, it's it's something that, that maybe you're not familiar with. It's something that maybe makes you just a little bit uncomfortable. But can I say, zeal, fervor, passion, passionate worship is okay. You see, we've, we've maybe seen some of the excesses, haven't we? We've seen people going a bit crazy, uh, you know, in the name of praising God and, you know, running up and down the stage, everyone going crazy, forward rolls and, and I don't know, swinging from the chandeliers and, and it would be a bit chaotic and... and and you know what, we can go too far. But can I just say, it's equally, it's, it's too far to just, just stand and, and, and not even praise God. And not even ex- any expression at all when we praise God. You know, I used the example last week of, of my wife. And, you know, she tells me body language is important. And I'm, I'm learning. Um, I'm not the best with it, but I'm learning. Body language is important. Because if I stand here and I say, you know, Alini, I love you. You're all the world to me, and, you know, I just want to tell you, um, I, I can't really live without you, and, um, yeah, that's it. Um, uh, she's not going to like it. She's not going to like it. Now, I'm not talking about being fake. I'm not talking about abandoning your personality. Some of us are, are a little bit more withdrawn, and, and some of us are more exuberant, you know. But 
I'm not telling you to be fake, but what I'm telling you is at least express what Jesus means to you in your worship and express it, meu amor. Anyway, I, I don't know. You know what? Christian would have done a really better job. He's, he's kind of more expressive. But anyway, I'm learning. I'm learning. You know, it's important. It's something that really is an overflow. That's the word for 2017, isn't it? It's overflow. It's not fake. It's something that overflows. When we have a passion for God, we can't help but get a little crazy and worship Him with passion. And of course, it's, it's not only shown through worship. But that's just one thing we can focus on. It's shown through the way we do everything. In, for, for the glory of God, we do it with passion because we love our God. Passion for the church as well. Secondly, so passion for God, but also passion for the church. Ephesians 5.25 says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her. We have a God who's passionately in love with the church, with the church that he has left to spread the word of God here on this planet. You see, for us, that's expressed in actively being involved in church, serving one another with passion. We spoke about a spirit of excellence. I think it was Christian, wasn't it? Spoke about excellence in everything we do. That's born out of the passion that we have for church. We want church to be a place that's relevant. That, that you come in here and you get, a, you get a great worship that's really well done, that's rehearsed, that's not just, just because they pitched up here five minutes before the service and just said, we'll plug in and we'll sing something out of excellence because we have passion for church. We love people. It's about a passion for people, for growing and encouraging people and seeing them grow. It's a passion for church means that we accept church warts and all. Yeah? Church is not perfect. If you're new to church and you've been here about four weeks and you've never seen me, you might think it's perfect, but it's not perfect. We just need to get to know each other. You'll realize Arena Church is not perfect. And in fact, can I be bold enough to say you're not perfect either? And that's exactly why Arena Church is not perfect. I remember a joke, one of my favorite jokes is, if I can quickly tell a joke, is there was a guy who was stranded on a desert island. You may have heard this. And, and um, so he was stranded alone on a desert island, managed to survive. Eventually they found him many months later, um, but he survived. And, and they noticed when they picked him up that on this desert island there were three houses. So they, they quizzed him. They said, well, you've made yourself comfortable, haven't you? Um, what's this house? And he said, this is my home. This is my house where I live. And great. And, and what's the second one? Um, and he said, well, that's my church. I said, oh, great. So you've built yourself a church. Fantastic. He said, what's the third one? He said, that's where I used to go to church. <laughs> so he, he fell out with a church. You know what? When we have a passion for church, we have a passion for church with its warts and all. Because we have a passion for people and God's people. That's on Sundays, today. That's during the week, by you being involved with small groups. That's not only small groups, but relationships that you build with people through the week because you have a passion for his church. And thirdly, I want to say a passion for the world. You see, our God also has a passion for the world. 
not just for, for us who are sitting here in this building or attending any church on, on a, any given Sunday, but he has a passion for the world. John 3.16 says, God so loved the world that he gave his son. How amazing is that? He gave his son, not just for us, but for the people outside of those four walls as well. He's a passionate God. It says, one of my favorite verses, while we were yet sinners, he went to the cross. Not because we were promising, not because we you know, had potential, because we were lost, sinners without him, and he went to the cross for us. You see, we need to have a passion for connecting with people that are far away from God. We have to have a passion for the lost. That's why we take so much time to engage with the community. And can I say, we're good at this. We could be better, but we're good at this. We engage with the community. We, we try to help people out who are in need because we believe that's what Jesus would do. And I, I know that it's so easy to be so involved in church that you don't have time maybe for those out there. But can I say and hear my heart, it's wonderful that you serve in church, but we also want you to build relationships with those outside of these walls, to engage with people in your life that only you can engage with. I shared last week, and I'll share again, there's a, a couple that came into Alini in my life up in Scotland. Um, just, you may say chance, but I believe it was supernaturally in that we were given vouchers to go to a restaurant that we never went to, and we happened to sit down. It was great steak. Um, I remember the food. <laughs> Um, but we met this guy, um, uh, this guy Ian, who just happened to get into conversation. He was our waiter, um, fantastic guy, and we, we found that his wife was Brazilian. And obviously, there was a connection there because of Eleni, and and so we made this great connection and built up this friendship with us and with them. And and they came to church with us on one occasion. But really, at the time, we were so involved with church, we didn't have as much time to invest in their life. And. And I did, I remember them saying this, and Alini and I have felt this for a long time since then. They said this, but when they were leaving, because then they moved and they went to Dubai to live. And so we're kind of in touch, but at a distance with them now. And they said this, well, you guys were just always so busy with church. And it really hit to our heart because, you know, I believe God placed those people. And it's not a lost cause. They're fantastic people. We can still pray for them and believe that God's going to do. But that God placed those people in our lives. We didn't have time. Didn't have time for them. And, and you know, what, however that looks in your life, I pray that you would have time to engage. Have a passion to engage with the people in your workplace, the people in your neighborhood, wherever that may be. So moving swiftly on, and, and we've got a lot of ground to cover. But I want to talk about generosity as well. Passion, first of all but also um, generosity, which it's going to come up on the screen, the quality of being plentiful or large in what we do. Some of the synonyms that actually aren't up there, lavish, liberal, plentiful. So it's so much more than meeting a need. It's so much more than ticking a box. It's being generous, abundant in everything we do. And first and foremost, we want to be a generous church not because it's a good idea. Again, it's because we serve a generous God. Our God is a generous God. Some scripture's gonna come up on the screen there, and I'm not gonna read them out, um, but you can make, make a note. Well, John 3.16, you'll know, but Genesis 1.26 and 31 talks about the beauty of creation. It's talking about creation. And I don't know about you, 
But the generosity of God for me is displayed first and foremost in, uh, in creation. How amazing is it? It boggles my mind because, you know, he created us. And he, yes, we need to, um, you know, have energy to, to obviously go through the day. But he created us not just to plug into a wall to recharge our batteries. He created us with this, this palate to be able to taste the food. So it's not just about nourishment, but it's about the, the, the blessing of being able to taste all the flavors that we can taste. To see the beauty of creation, uh, of the, the green hills that we're surrounded by, the forests, the beauty of God's creation. We were just amazed again in our trip, our holiday to South Africa, about the the diversity of his creation, you know, so different but so beautiful that he created the, the detail of the animals and, and, and the wildlife for our pleasure and our enjoyment. We've been watching some, some documentaries with, with Lucas over the last few days, and he's, he loves it, mostly about under the sea, you know, sharks and, 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 you know, ocean life. And I was just wowed and amazed again about the variety and the the, the perfection of God's creation. He didn't just create one shark. He created tens or hundreds of sharks, different types, and just generous in what he created for us. But, but John 3.16 says, not only that, he was generous in, in what he did for us, that God sent his own son. So generous is he that, that he sent his own son to die on the cross for our sins. We serve a generous God. There's a, there's a scripture in Isaiah 32, 8 that's not coming up on the screen, but it says this. It says, a generous man devises generous things, and by generosity, he will stand. And I love that scripture because it's not just whatever comes across your path that you'll be generous. It's actually talking about waking up in the morning and thinking, how can I be generous today? Being intentionally generous, saying, how can I be generous with my income? Uh, how can I be generous with my time, with my words? How can I be generous today? And, and um, I'm going to just focus really quickly. Time is running, but um, we might overrun a little bit, but um, I'll try to, to squeeze everything in. Generous with our words. First of all, some scriptures up there, Proverbs 10:21. The words of the godly encourage many. Gentle words are a tree of life. You know, the Proverbs and the Bible is full of, of scriptures about the importance of words and how powerful words are. Um, I got myself into trouble last week, and so I'll, I'll phrase this carefully, but interestingly enough, studies show that, um, that women speak 20,000 words on any given day, on average, right? 20,000 words. And so let's see if you, there were some sharp people in Mansfield. How many words do you think men speak on average on any given day? Six. It's a little bit higher. 6,000? Well, it's a bit higher. 7,000 words on any given day. So about a third of, of the words that women speak. I'll just make that... Uh, point. Um, but when we talk about being generous with our words, we don't obviously talk about generous in number, do we? we, we in fact, the Bible is, is full of warnings against too many thoughtless words, ladies. Um, see, I've complimented Alini, so, you know, they, that kind of hopefully balances each other out. We should weigh our words. 
Weigh our words because words can tear down or they can build up. Words can hurt and pierce people or build them up. You know, there's, there's people walking around with injuries and we can, on any given day, you might be in the supermarket and see somebody with a broken arm or a broken leg or crutches or, or maybe a, a bruised eye. But let me tell you, there's so many more people out there who are walking around wounded because of words that were spoken over them, because of words that were said to them, because words can hurt. Words do hurt. And in fact, much more than just normal bruises and, and breaks can hurt. Words are powerful. We should be generous with our words. And, you know, I know um, that in my life I can look back to examples where people have spoken words into my life over me that have had such a positive effect. I wasn't the best student at school. I just, you know, I just didn't fit the mold of school. And so, you know, teachers got frustrated with me. Um, and I, I just didn't fit the mold, really. I was never an outstanding student. But I remember one teacher that, that saw something in me, that believed in me, that spoke positive words instead of Stephen criticizing me all the time. Mrs. Agnew, who's my biology teacher, just spoke positive words over me, encouraged me. And you know what? She probably doesn't remember that all the words she spoke to me. She'll remember me, but not everything she said. But I know those words have an impact on me. That... It was my top subject, and I was the top biology student. There was nowhere else. Everything else was terrible, but, um, but biology was, was something I did amazing at because I knew she believed in me, and she spoke those words over my life, and I believed I could do it to the point that I went on and studied that at university because of positive words that were spoken over me. Can we be a church where positive words, where we're generous with our words, where we're speaking positive words over people, I hope we can, and I believe we are uh, already, but generous with our time is the next thing. So generous with our time. Jesus is, again, the best example of this, and there's a story in Matthew 19 where Jesus is obviously very busy, and, is, and, and people were bringing their children um, to him, and, and parents were bringing their, kid, bringing their kids to him, and the disciples actually scolded them and said, get away, he's not got time for that. But obviously we know Jesus' response, that he said, no, bring the children to me. And he obviously blessed and he, he prayed for them. He said, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are like these children. You see, Jesus was busy. He was a very busy man, but he still had time for the kids. You see, we've all got the same amount of time. We've all got, don't let... You know, don't, don't be kidded. We've all, the days are the same for me and you. And we've heard that, that phrase, I just don't have time. The reality is that it's not about time. It's really about priorities, isn't it? Can we make a commitment to be generous with our time? Not just using it on selfish things, but being generous and giving it away to other people. We've had a great example and an opportunity to do that um, in the church life, you know, be involved in, in helping out in practical ways on, on the Friday and the Saturday, the work days. Let, let's give of our time. Be generous of our time. Not just for church, though, but also outside in your world, with your family, with your kids, with maybe your neighbors who really maybe even you don't get on with. Can we still be generous with our time? But lastly, generous with our, with our resource as well. And when we say resource, we could have said finance, but I think it's bigger than just finance. 
um, resources about everything that you've been given. That could be your home. Um, That could be your car. Um, That could be things that are most your your most prized possessions. You know, are you are you generous with your resource? And I want to read First Timothy um, six seventeen through nineteen. And this is going to come up on the screen. And it says this: Teach those who are rich. And let me just pause at that point. Most of us in this room are rich um, by virtue of living in the country that we live in, by virtue of having a bank account with money coming in, or at least being able to. to to have food on your table. Most of us are rich. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need. Always been ready to share with others. And verse 19, and we'll come back to this. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Let's recap. Generosity is the quality of being plentiful or large in what we do. And I'm I'm not going to dwell much on resources and and finance or whatever you you call it because um, there's not time. But we can't ignore it. We can't ignore it. The Bible is full of, 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 of instruction to be generous with our resource, with our finance, with our possessions, to be generous. And can I even say, it's not just about church. It's not just about church. This is not just because we're going to pass a basket round and we want you guys to put as much church, money into the church as possible. God commands us to do that. The Bible's very clear that if, if we are in this church, if we're part of this church, if this is our home church, that it's important to give back to God. That's, that's important. But you may have said, well, I've ticked that box. I've given the right percentage, and now I'm good to go. And you walk out to these doors, and you're stingy all week long. That's not pleasing to God. Can I say that? That is not pleasing to God. He wants to be, us to be generous over and beyond church, but outside of these four walls as well, to be people who are generous with our resource. You see, we came back from South Africa just less than two weeks ago, and it's a third world country, and you know, those of you that have been to South Africa, there's, in big cities, virtually every traffic light you come to, there's people begging at the traffic lights. So they'll have signs up sometimes saying, you know, can you please help me? I don't want to turn to a life of crime. I just want to be honest, but I've got no money. I need to feed my family. And, you know, sometimes there's people that are, are, are disabled, you know, and, and clearly unable to work. And your heart breaks for these people because they've got virtually nothing. And obviously it was the first experience. Alenia and I have, have seen that before, but the first experience for Lucas and it was, it was really moving to see his little heart just breaking for these people. Just wanting to say, Daddy, if I had my piggy bank, I'd give it all to them. I'll give it all to this guy if I had it. And yet, by the end of our three-week holiday, we were already getting quite used to it. Um, to the point that we would just, oh, it's another guy, you know, another lady. Um, just try not to make eye contact, you know, to our shame. We can't help all of them. We can't help every one of them. We wouldn't have money to pay our mortgage and our bills and bring up our children. 
But listen, we can't become so um, accustomed to the need that we switch off and we don't realize the, the need out there. We're to be generous in what we do. We're be, to be generous people inside and outside the church with our resource. So I'm um, at, at an end, but what I do want to do is just bring this all together um, in conclusion because it's the end of a series, isn't it? We've focused on so many different things, behaviors, as it were, that we want to cultivate and have here in Arena. But, and I've said at the beginning, the reason why is because we want this culture in Arena. But it goes deeper than that. What's behind that? You say, well, why do we want to create this culture? Well, it's about those verses that I read in Timothy, just at the end there, which says, by doing this, they'll be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Maybe that doesn't make sense to you, but can I just use an illustration really quickly? Francis Chan used this illustration, and he did it a lot better than I, I can do it, but he, he basically was standing up on stage, and he actually had a rope. Now, I've not got a rope, but you guys are more intelligent than his audience, so you can work with imagination, right? So imagine I'm, I'm, I have a rope in my hands, and, and it starts here. In his case, it went to the end of the stage. But imagine if it was a rope that went out the door and, and down the stairs and across the road and down, you know, all the way to Nottingham and even further. In fact, went on forever. An endless rope. And he said, this is like a timeline of your life. This is like a timeline of all of eternity. And he, he had taped off this little section right at the end of the rope. And he said, this is your life here on earth. Whether that's 80 years or, or more or less, I don't know. But this is your life here on earth. And the rest of the rope down the street and across into the next county and country, that's all of eternity. And, and, and this is what we've got to live right now. This is what we've got to invest into eternity. This is what we've got to build up treasures for eternity. This is all we've got. I don't know how many years I've got, but what I do know is that I want to live those years with passion. I want to live those years with passion for God, for my church, for my world, so that that little bit of resource that I have can somehow impact eternity. That somehow a life that I can touch in this little piece of my life, that, that there can be somebody who gets saved because of it and spends eternity with Jesus instead of eternity in some other place, which we don't even want to think about. You know, we understand the concept of of studying in the first 20 years so that we will have a good career in the next 40 years, kind of lay, you know, investing in our future. And we understand saving up for maybe 40 years so that you can spend this little 10 years or 20 years in retirement or however long it would be. But can we not see the bigger illustration that this whole piece that we've got, whether you're retired or whether you're in school or whether you're working, this whole piece is what we have to invest into the rest of eternity. I know Eleni and I are determined. We may not be perfect, but we're determined that we're going to live our lives with passion, that we're going to live what we have with generosity so that we can somehow make a difference. That's why. That's why we want to have these things in arena, not so that we can look better and be 
better than the churches around us so that we can do the best with what we've got and impact eternity so that we can see people saved, so that we can see people growing into a deeper relationship with Jesus, realizing their potential, realizing their purpose and and being launched into what God has for them. That's why. And on one other note, you know, maybe you are sitting here and you've listened to the, the, you know, the, the preaching and the, the sermon and all the different messages and, and you just think, feel that you're like a little bit underqualified. Maybe you feel like, how can I ever be all of these things? How can I ever be passionate, generous, unified? You know, how, how can I have all these behaviors? If you feel overwhelmed, can I hold up my hand and say, I join you with that? Can I say, I'm overwhelmed too? I'm overwhelmed too because I can't be these things if it's on my own strength. But can I tell you that there is one who is stronger than us? There is one that can equip us, empower us, and strengthen us to be able to be all these things that seem impossible for man. Let me introduce you to Jesus Christ who died on the cross for your sins. Let me introduce you to a God that didn't just stay up in heaven and, and look down, but he actually sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die a painful death on the cross for your sins, for my sins, to change your life around, to take you from darkness to light so that you could have purpose in your life. Can I introduce you to a God that sent the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit to empower us? When Jesus left the earth, he said, I'm sending another a comforter to give you strength. Can I say to you today, without the Holy Spirit, this ain't happening. Without the Holy Spirit, none of these behaviors are gonna be there. We may get it right for a little bit, but then we'll fail. But let me tell you, there is one greater than us. God promises the gift of the Holy Spirit to fill us, to empower us, to enable us to live lives that are worthy of him. I'm going to call the guys up for the band and, and um, as we draw to a close. You see, it would be a waste of time if, if um, we preached the series, Christian, wouldn't it? And nothing changed and we just went on, you know, the same as always and and um, just lived our lives and thought, well, that was nice. That was entertaining, but we just live our lives. But we want to see change. We want to see people going to new depths of intimacy with God, new levels of, of service for God, the fruit of the Spirit just overflowing out of you because you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. Can we stand to our feet? I just want to give you an invitation. If if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I've said it again already and I'm not going to say it again. But you know what? He loves you. He cares for you. He died on the cross for your sins. Jesus died on the cross for your sins. If you, can we just bow our heads in fact, just to give some privacy for people. If you're here today and, and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you want to make a commitment to him, because something that has been said, whatever it is, has resonated with you, well, today is your opportunity. That's not going to happen by a raise of a hand. 
It's going to happen by a change and a personal commitment to Jesus. It's going to change as you, as you understand that you're a sinner who needs to be saved by grace. But I would like you, if you're bold enough, to just put up your hand. If you want to make a commitment to Jesus today for the very first time, I wonder if there's anyone at all who, who wants to say, I want to turn my life over to Jesus. Anyone at all? Thank you. Thank you. You may know Jesus, but there's a challenge for you here today as well. And I just want to simply say this. I want to say, if you want the Holy Spirit to come afresh upon you, to fill you again, to empower you again, to be able to do what you need to do, to be able to live this out, these things that we've spoken about. I wonder if you would just raise your hands. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to embarrass you at all, but there's hands all over just going up. I, I just want to pray for you all. You see, we can't do it without Him. We can't do it without Him. God, I just pray for these people. I pray for the gentleman who's raised his hand for salvation. God, we just pray that you would um, draw close to him, God, that you would take him, Lord, and transform his life for your glory, God. We pray for these people who are just raising their hands now. Oh, God, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would fall upon them, that you would fill them, that you would move and, and do great things in their life. Give them the strength, the encouragement, the boldness, whatever it may be, to make an impact for you, to be passionate people living for you, to be generous in all they do, and everything else that we've spoken about over these past weeks. God, we just pray your blessing upon them. Holy Spirit, that you would fall afresh. We pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.